The ultimate goal of preaching is to expose people's sin so that they feel conviction and guilt and repent and turn to righteousness. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Aaron Nicholson. I'm with Jesse Randolph. We're pastors here at Indian Hills Community Church. And this episode is for pastors and teachers who want to proclaim God's Word effectively. It's called How to Write a Sermon, and we have Dr. Jack Hughes with us today to help unpack this topic. Thank you very much for, for being here on the podcast. It is a privilege. It's a privilege to have you, and thank you for speaking just an hour ago at our lunch on the primacy of preaching. Thank you for your encouragement and exhortations. For those of you who don't know uh, Pastor Hughes, he is the lead pastor teacher at Anchor Bible Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's known for expository preaching and bold proclamation of the Bible. And you can read more about Dr. Hughes at his website, drivennails.com. There's some great preaching resources there. And you can also visit his church's website. Is it anchorbiblechurch.org? That's it. Uh, I understand Driven Nails has some uh, channels on YouTube and Vimeo where you can learn more about his ministry there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Hughes, I've been uh, personally very blessed and benefited by your ministry, grateful mm-hmm. for you. The How I was introduced to you is through your book, Expository Preaching Through Word Pictures, I think it was called. Yeah. And it's a looking at word pictures through the lens of Thomas Watson and his yeah. use of word pictures, the old Puritan. Helpful resource. And we even got to hear Dr. Hughes do that this morning in, in the talk he gave, where uh, he was just throwing word pictures around left and right, appropriate to Nebraska, right. where we sit today, things involving hunting and grenades and such. Um, <laughs> but been very grateful for many years for your ministry and just want to say thank you again for popping in on the podcast. Um, praise God. Yeah. So can we just get right into the topic of teaching and preaching? We're going to talk today about how to write a sermon, how to prepare a sermon. But but before we get to writing, can we talk a little bit about preparation and mm-hmm. preparation of the preacher specifically? What steps of self-preparation must the preacher go through before he sits down in the study and begins to, to craft a sermon? Yeah, that's really good. I think kind of bare minimum would be you need to know the Lord. You need to be born again by grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of unbelievers standing behind pulpits, you know. I think Peter Jones described them as cadavers in the pulpit mm-hmm. preaching to corpses in the pews. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be that, obviously. So you would need to be saved. You need to be walking in the Spirit. You need to be gifted. You need to be trained. And some minimal training. You know, I don't think everybody needs to go to seminary, but everybody needs training. You know, some people say, well, the apostles didn't go to seminary. No, they just lived with Jesus for three years. Mm -hmm. So they did get training, but um, they weren't, you know, slackers about uh, preparation. So I think in general, um, when we train men at Anchor Bible Church, I try to make sure they have some hermeneutics or Bible study principles, the basics of that. Um, the base that they've kind of gone through and gotten some systematic theology. That means they have looked at many verses relating to God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, man, sin, salvation, the church, angels, demons, you know, end time events, mm-hmm. just so that yeah, they have, when they're interpreting the scriptures, they kind of have a framework because as you study individual texts, it's going to refine your understanding of the key areas of doctrine, and those key areas of doctrine are going to warn you if you interpret a text that contradicts it. So they kind of help each other from going off the rails theologically. So what you already know 
may all of a sudden be upset by what the text says. Mm -hmm. And that's good because it kind of throws up a red flag in your mind and you go, okay, do I need to adjust my system to fit the Bible? Or is my system telling me that this can't be true? Because if there's 50 clear texts that say, you know, you can't lose your salvation, but this one text seems to say you can, then I probably need to look at this again. Mm. So both of those work together. So yes, Bible study principles or hermeneutics, you would need to know some systematic theology that is concentrated doses of uh, what the scripture teaches in the nine major areas of doctrine. And then the other part is how to get information out of the text. And that is like something for a whole month of podcasts. (laughs) But in general, you have different kinds of texts. The big word is genres, um, different literary types. You know, you got proverbs, parables, narrative, epistles, you know, things like that. Then you have different sizes of texts. And that would be like from preaching on a phrase or a verse or three to four verses or six verses or half a chapter or multiple chapters or even a whole book. Mm-hmm. So, that complicates things as far as sermon preparation. So you really need to be specific, and it takes a while for a preacher to learn how to deal with the different kinds of texts and the different sizes of texts. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I loved how at the beginning there you mentioned the distinction between, yeah, you, you, everybody needs training, but you don't necessarily have to go to seminary to do all the things you just mentioned. At what point would you counsel a man who's saying, I, I feel called to preach, I love the church, I love God's word, I want to study it, I want to teach it. When in that process are you looking at a guy and going beyond training and saying, you really need to go to seminary now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the average, the normal way to do it would be to, when you realize a man is gifted, he's called, he's passionate, he's feeling a call to the ministry, would be to find you know the best seminary you can and encourage them to go to that seminary. But having said that, I know, like I have a friend who's a lawyer and um, he just said, you know, I'm super busy and I, I'm not going to go to seminary, but he just got on the master seminary website, wrote down every single book and topic they did. And he mm-hmm. taught himself Hebrew and Greek and wow. Latin and read every single book that was in the master seminary store. Wow. And so he self-taught. Now that is very unusual but he gave himself the training. Mm. So that's okay, you know, and he became a pastor and, and, and that's good, you know, that you can do that. But I think the normal course is, is your, your average pastor. So like if one of my young men comes to me and says, you know, I, I want to learn Hebrew, I want to agree. I, I just don't have the bandwidth to put that much time into a man. I just, I just don't do it. So it's better to hurt yourself for a short time and get it over with than to like have to go to your pastor and, you know, string it over 15 years while he's trying to teach you everything you need to learn. Right. Yeah. That's helpful. So in this episode, we're talking about how to write not just a sermon, but an expository sermon. Mm-hmm. Can you help us define our terms? What is expository preaching and what is not? Yeah. Expository preaching is really preaching that is biblical, preaching that takes 
the meaning, the inspired meaning and emphasis of the text that is what the original author meant for his original audience to understand by what was written and takes that information from exposited, like, you know, excavator, digs it out of the text. And you do that using the tools of hermeneutics or Bible study principles. Those are your tools. And the application of those tools is called exegesis. You're taking, you're mining from the text. You're not eisegeting, reading into the text. You're taking out of the text. So you are working at trying to get that material out. And once you do that, that's half the battle because now you have this big mound of exegetical data, you know, it's a it's a big lumber pile all mixed up. And then you need to, the next part is the crafting, the packaging, and then finally the delivery to your people. So you kind of have the tools, the application of the tools to collect the data, the packaging of the data, and then the delivering of the data from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the four big pieces of the sermon process. I love how the illustrations are always themed. They're flowing. I mean, always, that was a construction theme, yeah. and it was like very, very good way to explain that. Thank you. I, I'd love to build on that using that oh, same yeah. lumber pile, yeah. right? So you just mentioned the lumber pile of mm-hmm. exegetical data, and mm-hmm. I know this is the million-dollar question, but how do you, Dr. Hughes, take the, the lumber pile and build the house? How do you go from exegesis to exposition? Would you be willing to kind of shed some light on, on your process? Sure, sure. And uh, just so you know, if you did go to my website, and drivennells.com and you went to sermon construction and you went down you could find a little little link there called step by step sermon prep and I actually take you through the whole process of constructing a sermon so I will give you a very short time so the first thing I do is I create what is called a text flow diagram um, it's kind of geeky I just like doing it but you basically put the main things to the left and the things that talk about them to the right. And without getting to a bunch of grammar, you have three things you need to look for. The thing being talked about, what that thing either is or is doing, and then everything else in the sentence talks about one of those two things. Mm-hmm. That's about all you need to know. So you're basically constructing basically an outline type form. This is the main thing. And these three phrases you know, are talking about or modifying that main thing. If you're going to be an expositor, you need to be able to have the skills to find the inspired emphasis of the text. You can't just read a verse and talk about it. You need to know what the Holy Spirit inspired to be the main thing. So I always diagram. I create just a basic text flow diagram, and I color code them and post them, and there's hundreds of them on my website. But I, I just like to do it. It kind of helps me visually see the structure of the text. Then I create an outline from the inspired structure of the text. That then gives me a framework in which to put all my information in the process of exegesis or studying the passage, word studies, cross-references, developing the doctrine, illustrations, reading commentaries, quotes, whatever. Mm -hmm. If you do it that way, once you create an outline that submits to the inspired structure of the text, then any ideas you have, any interpretations you have, any intel from scholarly resources, you can put it into the correct location. Mm -hmm. So this saves you probably about 70% of the time. A lot of guys who are inexperienced, 
a lot of times they just study a passage and they just collect data and collect data and they just have this huge exegetical lumber pile. And I say it's like taking all the materials that it needs for a house and just piling them up there. You, It would be a nightmare to have to unscramble that and say, okay, let's get all the windows over here and get the electrical over here and the plumbing over here and the wood over here and the plaster and the carpeting. You know, it's just... It's a nightmare, but if you start out that way, it takes so long to try and sort everything out that you're not going to have enough time to make it clear, to make sure it's applied, to illustrate it, to preach the gospel. But if you start the other way, then you look at the text, its structure, you create an outline that submits to that structure, then you get your information and put it into the right category. So all you're doing is organizing information that's all in the same, talking about the same thing, quotes or whatever, ideas, word studies, and that's way easier. So you'll work through that. And in my normal sermon, I probably do maybe five to seven times I'm going through it. I kind of outline it. I do word studies. I don't look at any commentaries. Sometimes I look at critical commentaries if like I can't figure out what the main thing is. Sometimes I look at um, I have some resources on Logos Bible software that kind of show the syntactical relationships of things. It's pretty geeky, but in rare instances, I have to pull that out to find out, like, what's talking about what? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rare. You know, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, you know, that giant run-on sentence is kind mm-hmm. of a nightmare. But anyways, something like that. So once I get it down, I just interpret it based off of the flow of the context, what comes before and what comes after, and to make sure that my understanding fits the flow. So if I'm standing on a concrete bridge, I cannot see through the concrete. But if it's there's a river, and I look upstream, and the water's coming towards the bridge, and I look downstream, and the water's going away from the bridge, I know what direction the water is flowing under the bridge, even though I can't see through the concrete. And that's kind of how it is when you're studying an individual text. What is the flow coming? What is the flow going? And your interpretation should match that flow. And if it does not, it's probably wrong. Mm. So I then interpret it initially. I might refine it once, put some illustration, maybe some cross-references. And once I get there, then I read as many commentaries as I can, or at least a lot of good commentaries. I usually read two or three what are called critical commentaries that have to do with you know, syntactical relationships or word studies, more geeky stuff, um, might not be helpful for the untrained person. Then I do most of my commentaries are what are called expositional commentaries. They would be like, you know, John MacArthur's sermons put into commentary form, something like that. And then they might be maybe a few um, commentaries that were devotional, where a devotional commentary focuses more on this is what it means, and this is how it applies. Things like Henry Ironside, or maybe even R. Kent Hughes. His are pretty lightweight, but good, you know. So I'll look at that. And as I'm reading the commentaries, a lot of times I'm going, "Oh, they got it right," or whatever. Or sometimes they go, "Wow, they saw something I missed." Or rarely I'll say, "Wow, everybody says something different than me," <laughs> and I want to be careful that. I don't come to a conclusion that no one in the history of church has right. come before. When that happens, the red light goes on. It's like, I need to read it. You know, why hasn't the Holy Spirit taught anybody else yeah. what I discovered? <laughs> um, and so sometimes I have to modify my interpretation a little 
sometimes a lot, but oftentimes I realize if I stick to the flow of the context, I see things and I get it right. And uh, I find clarification and affirmation from other scholarly resources that help me when I go up into the pulpit to preach with passion and authority because I know what the text says. Yeah. I know what it means. I know other godly men have arrived at the same conclusion. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the basic process I go through. That's excellent. That's awesome. Super helpful. I've seen those outlines you, you post on, mm-hmm. and, and people, they should be following you on the various social medias. Dr. Jack Hughes, I think on Twitter, yeah. uh, where we see those outlines posted and Driven Nails is another resource. But mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for sharing, giving us some, uh, some free advice on how, to, how you piece it together. Yeah. So Dr. Hughes, what principles should preachers and teachers embrace and which pitfalls should they avoid? Oh man, that is, um, I'll just give you some off the top of my head. So some principles to embrace would be start early, not late. Hmm. Rarely are quality sermons produced in a hurry. Now the exception might be if there's no option. Like there's been times where I've had three funerals in one week Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, I was teaching at the seminary and discipling a guy and teaching a class and teaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. And these three funerals sermons were kind of dropped in. I had to meet with the families, had to talk about the thing, you know, it's God's grace is always sufficient for you Mm -hmm. and he knows when you're doing the best you can. But I think a lot of guys wait too long. So my normal week is I try and take Mondays off. Sometimes I'll diagram what I'm going to preach on Monday because I still spend time with the Lord in the morning. But uh, I try and get my text diagrammed early, and then I start working on it in earnest on Wednesday. Wednesday is my try and blow out the whole rough draft. Hmm. Then I go over it again, smooth it out on Thursday. Then I read my commentaries on Friday. Then I go over it again Saturday morning, and I go over it again early Sunday morning. That is my normal procedure. Now, of course, ministry is unpredictable, but starting early is necessary so you can work on it, think about it, think about how to communicate it well. Like a lot of times I'm asking myself, okay, this is kind of a gnarly doctrine. This is kind of a heavy thing here. How can I make this simple to a junior hire? Like, how can I get your average housewife to grasp this? How can I, you know, I need time to meditate on a clear way to present the truth so that people are nodding like this. When people are, kind of their mouths are open and they're <laughs> that's not good. You know, you want them nodding when you nod and smiling when you smile, like there's a string on your forehead connected to their forehead yeah. and they're looking at you and you're explaining stuff and that you've got them by the throat. See, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it when kids cry out and answer my rhetorical questions and my <laughs> sermons, you know, I know they're just riveted mm-hmm. and they're, they're tracking with me, even though I'm preaching an hour long sermon and they're, they're doing great. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that I have time. So start early would be a good principle. Another principle would be to make sure you get the best resources you can. And, uh, you know, whether they're paper or whatever, but I would encourage, you know, people to get Logos Bible software or Accordance. Um, I haven't used Accordance, but I know it's excellent from guys that I know who use it. Um I've been using Logos since it was in beta version. It wasn't even for sale, but, uh, you know, 
you can save a lot of time. And, you know, I used to open up, do word studies and open up all these books to yeah. all the pages, Plugging the Hebrew, desk, yeah, too. big piles of yeah. them and reading all the entries. And now I can just click on a word and it just opens everything up and I just get the answers. And it, because of that, it gives you a lot more time to meditate on the text. Mm. So especially if you're, you know, in a church, if you're an elder here, make sure you get your pastor the best resources he possibly can, because the word of God and the pulpit is worth it, that you send him to conferences, you get him the training, send him to Logos Training School, send him to learnlogos.com with John Fallahy and learn how to use that software. It will only be a blessing to you. So when I'm going to teach through a new book, I do research and find out the very best commentaries. I get them. If I can get them on Logos, I do. If not, I like right now I have a bunch, I'm preaching through Revelation. I have a bunch of paper ones, and then I have a bunch of three or four on Logos, almost all of them don't use a literal approach, but I try and get all the best resources I can, and I learn how to use them so I can be the best blessing I can to my people. So good resources, don't hurry sermon preparation, be willing to sacrifice for the sake of your sheep and quality preaching. So there's some times where, you know, people die, somebody's kid overdoses on drugs, you know, just things happen in the church because at least in our church, everybody's a sinner, but you know, things interrupt you and it's not on your calendar. It just sucks up your half your day or whatever. And it kind of puts you into DEFCON one mode. It's like (laughs) Sunday's coming and you know, my blank, my paper's still blank. And when that happens, I just, you know, start, I am a morning person. So, you know, for me, this is what works. I'm not saying this is what happens needs to happen for you. But I just tell my wife, I'm going to go to bed early and I'm getting up at two, hmm. you know, yeah. because nobody interrupts me yep. from like two <laughs> to eight. Yep. You it's know, beautiful. it's a yeah. beautiful time. <laughs> and I don't have to do that very often, but every once in a while, I have to do that. Yeah. Um, there's been times where I'm just beat. And so I just tell my wife, I'm taking a nap. I take a nap. I drink a cup of coffee and I just say, I'm disappearing into the I call it my sermon factory. <laughs> I go into the sermon factory and, you know, there I sit until my eyelids droop shut. And, you know, I want to make sure I'm willing to sacrifice for it. ministry isn't easy. Uh, sermon preparation isn't easy, but Jesus is worth it and the people are worth it. So you do the best you can to prepare with what God gives you. Amen. Coolest part about what I hear you saying is you believe the word of God changes people. You believe it is the most important thing you could communicate and yeah. your study shows it. Yeah, exactly. Amen. Yeah. I just, I make, I'm going to issue the quote. You might remember the, the origin of the quote, but it's that one that goes, I'm, I'm tired in the work, but not of the work. Mm-hmm. I forgot who said it, but it's such a, it's a, it's a piercing point, you know, to, to be willing to be spent for the sake of souls as we handle his precious word, no matter what the time investment that might have to have to happen. And if other things do get in the way, or if the kid does get sick and we just find the time when we can to, to plow and to present and to, uh, to be faithful, Dr. Hughes, that, that was a super helpful look in to your life yeah, and, you. and how you prepare your messages. Could you help us with just one final question here? And it's a huge one, but what is the ultimate goal of preaching? Yeah. The ultimate goal of preaching is to expose people's sin so that they feel conviction and guilt and repent and turn to righteousness. Mm. 
So you could call that the application of the truth. But really to bring conviction, um, when you see that text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, after it says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. And then it kind of gives this definition. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those three terms, if you do do a word study on them, it basically means show people their sins so that it brings them under conviction and guilt of the word so that they turn from their sin to righteousness, to do what is right. And as contrary that is to almost everything you hear I'm preaching today, that is the goal of preaching is to... You know, when people say, man, that was really convicting, well, praise God that I didn't make you feel comfortable in your rebellion against mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like what you said over our lunch, your job is to turn up the heat and turn up the heat so that the unbelievers feel uncomfortable and leave and the believers repent mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pursue righteousness. Yeah. 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 Preaching causes repentance. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you again for your ministry, and listeners, do check out DrivenNails.com. There sounds like there's plenty of resources there, a step-by-step guide on Mm -hmm. how to prepare a sermon. And uh, yeah, thank you again for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, the final word, as always, goes to God and His Word in 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Have a great week.